It's got good, you know. I uh, this week is just an incredible reminder of where do we build our lives? Where do we find our security? And how many how many saw or did anyone miss the pictures on TV about uh, what happened in China this uh, this week and uh, all the devastation there? You know, we all saw that, and it's a huge reminder of what are you building your life in? You know. And on the week, the day before that earthquake happened, everyone would have been there with their homes, would have been there with their schools, with, the, with their families, and they wouldn't have dreamed for one minute the disaster that was around the corner. And uh, not that we, that we live thinking that the sky's going to fall on our heads or anything like that, but we live with an awareness that this life is temporary and that there is an eternity stretched out in front of us. Do you believe that this morning? Yeah, all right. Now, let me ask you a question this morning. If there was one thing in your life that you could change, what would that be? If there was one thing, something in your life that you could make different, what would that be? Have a think about that for a minute. What would you change? Now, let me ask you with that, is that to do with your circumstances Or with your character, would you want something changed in your circumstances or would you want something changed in your character? Was it something to do with an external feature of your body or was it something to do with your heart? You see, God is in the business of changing our hearts. God wants to change our hearts and our attitudes, our characters, our very identity. And uh, two weeks ago, Pastor Mike introduced the subject on how God, where do we get our value in life from? Where do we get our identity in life from? And God wants to align our identity in life so we draw from the very nature of God. You see, the world is fascinated by change. So I won't embarrass anyone here by asking how many, uh, uh, how many watch uh, 10 years and, and younger or, uh, or, or Trini and Susanna. Uh, Hamish, you can put your hand down. Okay, that's all right. Okay, you see, or or Biggest Loser or or anything like that. See, the world has a fascination with change, but it has a fascination with external change. They're interested in diet, they're interested in clothes, they're interested in in, uh, uh, Botox or silicone, uh, makeup, all those things. Not all of them are bad, some of them are, but not all of them. But you see, God is interested in internal change, change of heart change of attitudes, change of motivations. When it comes down to it, the external things of life, they might make you happy for a short time, if at all. But in the long term, happiness, true happiness, comes from an an internal change, an internal heart. And God wants to change the internal identity of your heart so that you become all that He made you to be, all that He wants you to be. Now, how many of you know that you need some change in your life? Yeah? How many perfect people are there in here? All right, okay. So tell the person next to you, you need to make some changes. <laughs> all right, we all need to make some changes. We need to make some changes. In fact, as I was preparing this message, I had a revelation. Do you know what my revelation was? 
I need to change. <laughs> All right, so we need to change. So let me ask the question again. What would you most like to change about your life? If there was one thing in your life that you could change, what would it be? What's the one thing that keeps getting you into trouble? Eh? Now let's look at how God changes a life because I don't know about you, but I've found change to be really frustrating. I had a, a lesson in change right from, a, from an early age. I have a distinct memory that, see, I wasn't brought up as a Christian, but I was, I was made to go to Sunday school as a kid. Yeah, my, my parents didn't believe in God one, one bit, but they did believe in sending me away on Sunday morning so that uh, uh, the kids could get out of their hair. And uh, so I went along dutifully to Sunday school, not because I wanted to, but because I didn't have any choice. And um, there were good people who, who, who taught, uh, taught from the Bible and, and, and uh, taught Christian life. And I figured at some point I remember figuring that, well, you know, being a Christian is, is uh, a good thing to be. And I should be one. And if I'm going to be a Christian, Christians are good people. So if I just be a good enough person, then I'll be a Christian. So I thought, well, the first thing that needs to change is that Christians don't swear. And this was, I remember distinctly, this was about eight years old. Okay? And uh, I remember distinctly being at a point where I was saying, well, okay, I'm not going to swear anymore. Well, that lasted about 30 minutes. So <laughs> I figured, oh, that's hard. I'll try again really hard, really hard, and I think it got worse. I lasted for about 20 minutes before I, I, a swear word came out, and I thought, you know what? This Christian stuff is just too, way too hard for me. See, I had an idea that being a Christian was all about whether you could, uh, whether you could just behave right and do the right things, but actually being a Christian is about drawing on the power of God and His life to change you. It's an internal change. And uh, we're going to look at the life of Jacob this morning because in the life of Jacob, God teaches us and shows us how he changes a person. See, in the account of Jacob, there's lessons for each one of us. Nearly a quarter of the book of Genesis is about the life of Jacob. So there's some big stuff in there. Jacob was the son, the twin son of Isaac and Rebekah. And even before Jacob was born, there was a powerful prophetic word over his life. If you want to turn with me in your Bible to Genesis chapter 25 and verse 21. How many of you got your Bibles with you this morning? Oh yeah, okay. Now if you've forgotten your Bible, smile nicely at the person alongside you and uh, ask if you can look over their shoulder. Genesis 25 and 21. Say yes when you got there. Oh yeah, are you there? All right. Now it says, And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her. And she said, If this is thus, why is this happening to me? So she went to inquire of the Lord. And the Lord said to her, Two nations are within your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided. The one shall be stronger than the other. The older shall serve the younger. And when her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. The first came out red. All his body was like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. Afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. So his name was called Jacob. Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. 
Now, right there in that story, we see that, that uh, the two boys, the two twins, there was a powerful destiny over the younger's life. It says that the older will serve the younger. So immediately God foreknew what the character and what the purpose and destiny of that child was. Now I want you to notice was that when God saw those babies in the womb, not he didn't see little babies. He didn't see cells or fetuses. He saw nations. God saw two nations. He saw the potential of those children. And so often when we think of little, uh, when we think of babies in the womb, or when we think of small children, we don't see all of their potential, but God does. God sees their potential, and He sees of Jacob and Esau, He sees two nations. Now Jacob, when he was born, he came out with his hand holding the heel of his brother Esau. And so Jacob's name means he takes by the heel or heel grabber. And by implication, it means so much more than that. It means schemer or cheater or supplanter, one who wrongfully takes the place of the others. Now to the Hebrews, a name was far more than a label that you called someone. It was to do with a person's actual identity. Who a person was, their character and their potential. And in Jacob's case, he was well-named. He was well-named. Jacob was ambitious. He was impatient. And most of all, he was a deceptive cheat. He was a do-it-yourself expert when he came to the things of God and taking any advantage in life. If there was any way he could get advantage in life, he was going to do it himself. Now, how many of you have ever taken the things of God into your own hands and done a little bit of DIY work yourself. Yeah, come on, I've done that too, and I, I know most of us here have. Most of us get tired of waiting for what God wants to do and create a bit of trouble for ourselves by taking things into our own hands. And that's exactly what Jacob did. He created a whole mess in his life. He had some family troubles. Anyone had any family troubles here? Yeah, okay. Now, the problem with Jacob's family was him. Yeah, yeah. He purchased, he purchased his brother's birthright with a bowl of bean stew. Now, if you heard the last message that, uh, that Shane Willard preached on uh, Esau, the bowl of beans, that's a great message. You want to hear that. Look into the life of Esau. But we're going to look today at the life of Jacob. Jacob took advantage of Esau's greed and weakness of character and bought for a bowl of beans his brother's birthright. Now, but that's not all. You see, with his mother's help, with his mother's help, he lies to his elderly, nearly blind father to steal Esau's blessing. Now, how many of you know that Esau's really going to love him for that? Uh-uh. Okay, so as a result of this, Esau is so angry, so angry that he determines to kill Jacob at the first opportunity. So Jacob runs away into exile and he never sees his mother again. You see, when we take things into our own hands and start doing a bit of DIY, there's consequences that come into our lives that are not good at all. So Jacob runs away to Uncle Laban. And as we know in life, what goes around comes around. So it just so happens that Uncle Laban is as crooked as a dog's hind leg. And Jacob, he's right there in the midst of it. He works seven years, he falls in love with one of Uncle Laban's daughters, 
Uncle Laban's got two daughters. He falls in love with one of them. He works seven years for her. Seven years to pay the dowry for her. Then through the wedding, he wakes up on the wedding morning to find that Uncle Laban has done a switch on him and he's married the daughter that he doesn't want, the ugly one. Oh, my words. Problems. Laban's a crook. So he ends up working another seven years to marry the woman that he did want to marry originally. And all he goes through 20 years of hard work and hard labor, being cheated, shortchanged. And Jacob learns what it's like to, be, to serve a cheat and to be dealt with by a cheat. And after 20 years, he runs away from his father-in-law Laban and brothers-in-law who also now have begun to hate him. So Jacob hasn't got many friends in the world. So he's going home. He seeks to go home. But you know what? To go home, he's got to go back and sort things out with his brother. The same brother whom he cheated out of a birthright and father's blessing. The same brother who consoled himself with the thought of killing him. And now is coming towards him with 400 men. Now, you don't need 400 men. For a, for, a, for a friendly family reunion, do you? Yeah? <laughs> Jacob's not coming with uh, boxes of chocolates and flowers. He's, he's not doing that at all. So Jacob the cheat, Jacob the deceiver, Jacob is in a real difficult spot. Caught between his cheating father-in-law who wants to deal to him and a brother who wants to kill him. He's in real trouble. Jacob needs to change. Now let's join with Jacob in Genesis chapter 32, we're going to skip a whole, a whole section. I gave you a brief of his life. And in this chapter, we get to see how God changes a life because Jacob needed to change. And actually, we've all found out that we need to change as well. So in this chapter, we see how God changes a life radically, how God moves in the heart and lives of someone to transform their whole identity and to bring them into all that God has planned them to. You see, this is a message that we can change no matter what your experiences have been before, no matter what failures and weaknesses you have, you can change. God wants you to change. He will change you. He will even change your very personal identity so that you are no longer identified with your personal weaknesses like Jacob, no longer identified with your failures, no longer identified with shame, but with the very character and nature that God had planned for your life. God can change us if we will let him. Will you let God change you today? Um, okay, now the first step, the first step in change is crisis. Everyone say crisis. Crisis. Right, Jacob has got problems in Genesis 32 and verses 6 to 8. It says, the messengers returned to Jacob saying, we came to your brother Esau and he is coming to meet you. And there are 400 men with him. Then Jacob was greatly afraid and distressed. I'm betting that was about an understatement. Okay, he divided the people who were with him and the flocks and the herds and the camels into two camps saying, 
If Esau comes to one camp and attacks it, then the camp that is left will escape. Jacob was afraid and distressed. All his life, Jacob had been able to run, outwit, outsmart the people around him, and now he couldn't run any further. He was caught between his father-in-law and his brother who wanted to kill him. Now what's he going to do? You see, Jacob was desperate, and it's just in that place that God can step into his life and change him. There's nothing like crisis in our lives to bring us to the point where we say, God, I need your help. God, I need your help. God, help me. I need you. How many of you have been in a crisis and all of a sudden your prayer life has gone up a whole nother gear? Yeah, absolutely. I know I'm not the only one. You see, crisis is like the oil warning light coming on your dashboard in your car. You don't ignore that. You don't go keep on going or you're likely to cook your engine. And same when you face a crisis in life, you don't ignore it. You face it, you stop and you pay attention to it. What's going on here? You see, the kingdom of God is righteousness, peace and joy. And in a crisis, there's not a lot of righteousness, peace and joy going on in your life. There's something else at work. So what else is going on? It's time to look at what other kingdom is operating in your life. And where on earth did it get in? Yeah? Where on earth did it get in? It's human nature that when there's a crisis going on that our prayer lives change. We go up a whole nother gear. There's nothing like a crisis for getting us on our knees. See, C.S. Lewis, the great Christian writer, the guy who wrote the Narnia Chronicles, he said, God whispers in our pleasures. He speaks to our conscience, but shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a deaf world. God shouts in our pains. It's his megaphone to rouse a dead world, a deaf world. Now, if you want to avoid lots of crisis in your life, the best thing you can do is listen to the whispers as God speaks into your heart and your conscience. Best thing to do. But I don't know about you, but I've missed many of those warnings myself and found myself in a crisis. Yeah, can you relate to that? Okay. Have you ever found yourself in a difficulty and thought, if only I had listened more carefully to the warnings I had before? Yeah. But maybe you've missed those quiet warnings. Has God been trying to get your attention lately? Has God been trying to get your attention lately? Have you got a tension going on in your life? Have you got a crisis going on in your life? Have you got pressure on every side or even in a, in a small area in your life? What is it? And in that, God is shouting, I need your attention. Maybe it's a marriage stress. Maybe it's some family stress. Maybe it's some work stress. Maybe it's some kids stress. What is it? See, God is shouting to you in this. I need your attention. Listen to me in this. Now, let's get this straight right here because some people think, some people got some twisted ideas on that. Crises are usually the result of our own doing. Yeah? God doesn't bring them into our lives necessarily, deliberately. Actually, they're usually the consequences of our own messed up decisions or even a consequence of just the fact that we're living in a broken, messed up world. In Jacob's case, his crisis was simply the result of his own sin and selfishness and his win-at-all-cost attitude. 
There was no point in him blaming God. No point in him blaming God or anyone else. He was about to get what he deserved. Now, one of the best teachers in life is that of natural consequences. And any good parent will tell you that one of the best teachers or one of the, most best, one of the best disciplines for your children is to let natural consequences take their place. So, for example, a very simple example of this is that your children want to go play in the park. Say, sure, we'd love to go play in the park. Just sort out your room. Tidy up your room first. They send them off down to the room and they muck around and, and, uh, and stuff around in their bedroom and don't tidy up. They come out half an hour later and say, can we go to the park yet? Well, no, we said that we would go to the park when, when your room was tidy. How's your room doing? Ah, oh, so back into their room. And all of a sudden, mucking around like that, they get to the point where they realize that unless they get their room sorted out, the natural consequences, they're not going anywhere for the afternoon. They're going to spend the whole afternoon sorting the room out. So natural consequence is a powerful teacher. The next time it comes to going to the park, you know what? That room is clean real quick. Yeah? It gets clean real quick. And God uses, just as we use natural consequences with our children, God uses natural consequences with us. He lets us feel the consequences of the trouble we create. Jacob's trouble was a result of failing to trust God. His do-it-yourself effort. In Proverbs, it says, trust in the Lord. Proverbs chapter 3 and verse 5 to 6, it says, trust in the Lord with all of your heart and do not lean on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him and he will make your path straight. You see, if you want a real life example of how crooked your life can get, if you want a real example of what happens when you lean on your own understanding and don't trust on God, then look at the life of Jacob. You see a real, you see that playing out right throughout his history, and you see what happens with him. See, God didn't want that for Jacob's life. He had a better plan for him. He had a prophetic destiny for him. Jacob didn't need to work it all out himself, just like we don't need to work it all out ourselves. We need to submit and trust in God and see what he will do. You see, God is not the author of bad things happening to us. God is always good. He only ever gives good gifts. There's no dark side to God. Don't ever blame God for the bad stuff that happens around you. But God will use the crisis to speak to you. You see, the sad fact is that you and I, we're not that motivated to change while everything's going sweet. We're not that motivated to change when we're comfortable. But my word, when we're uncomfortable and miserable, oh my word, we're motivated to change. We're motivated to change. So the first step in change is facing up to the crisis. You see what happened then? Let's skip right down to Genesis 32 and 22 and 24. The same night, Jacob arose. He arose and took his wives, his two female servants, and 11 children and crossed the ford of Jabbok. And he took them and sent them across the stream and everything else that he had. And Jacob was left alone. And a man wrestled with them until the breaking of day. Jacob is alone with God. In the midst of the crisis, Jacob got alone with God. This has got to be one of the smartest things Jacob did. In the middle of his crisis, he got alone with God. Now, in the crisis, many people get caught up in other things. They get caught up 
in eating. They get caught up in worrying. They get caught up in shopping. They get caught up in looking for some way or somewhere to hide from their problem. Some people respond by complaining or wanting other people to fix their problems. But Jacob got alone with God. In the middle of your crisis, get alone with God. See, there's times and places in our lives where there's no one else that we can go to, nowhere else we can go to. The only way forward for us is to do business with God alone. And that doesn't happen by withdrawing from church or your small group or, or, or people who love and care for you. But it does mean getting aside and spending time to look at your life and say, God, I'm desperate. I need your help now. And only you can help me. Only you can fix this. So let me tell you, when you have, you can have a long crisis or a short crisis. It all depends on how you respond. See, Jacob had 20 years already of learning hard lessons in life. 20 years of being faced with Laban. And now my word, he was ready. God, I want your help. I'm not going into another disaster like this. So let's read on right through the encounter here. Crisis is the first step. Let's read on through 32, uh, verses 22 to 31. It says, The same night he arose, took his two wives and two female servants, and crossed the brook, the ford Jabok. He took them and sent them across the stream and everything else he had, and Jacob was left alone. A man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. When the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. Then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. He, and he said to him, what is your name? And he said, Jacob. Then he said, your name shall no longer be Jacob, but Israel, for you have striven with God and with men and have prevailed. Then Jacob asked him, tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. So Jacob called the name of the place Peniel saying, for I have seen God face to face, and yet my life has been delivered. And the sun rose upon him as he passed Peniel, limping because of his hip. The first step to a change in crisis, and particularly changing, uh, is, is responding rightly to crisis. The next step is a step of commitment. You see, in some places, the scripture talks about this encounter with a man. Some places it talks with an angel. But at the end of this, it's clear that Jacob has encountered God himself. Jacob has had a God encounter. And in the midst of this darkness, where he was alone, Jacob met with God. And the thing with that is the important thing is that Jacob was not letting go. Jacob, in his time of desperation and his need, was willing to contend with God and saying, God, that you will bless me. God, you will bless me. In fact, he wrestles with God all night. Even though God supernaturally touched Jacob's hip and he was weakened through that and out of joint, his statement to God is, I will not let you go. I will not let you go. The prophet Hosea also records some detail of Jacob's encounter with God. It says, in the womb... Jacob struggled with his brother by the heel, and in his manhood he strove with God. He strove with the angel and prevailed. He wept and sought his favor. He met with God at Bethel, and there God spoke with us. Jacob was thoroughly committed. For all Jacob's weaknesses, 
He was committed and he wasn't letting go of God. See, it's a general principle in life that God doesn't just solve your problems immediately. There's some time that goes on. There's some time that goes on where we have to show that we're thoroughly committed and we're not letting go. Let me ask you this morning, how easily do you let go of God? What does it take for you to get discouraged in your prayer life? How quickly do you let go of God? See, we're programmed to get instant answers, instant coffee, drive-through takeaways. And if we wait for more than five minutes in a queue anywhere, we're getting angry and uptight. But that sort of thinking doesn't work with God. What works with God is commitment and persistence. Commitment could be described as perseverance or endurance. And there's something about Jacob that says, I'm not giving up. Are you a quitter this morning or are you someone who says, I am not giving up. I'm believing God for breakthrough in my family. I'm believing God for breakthrough in my marriage. I'm believing God for breakthrough in my work. I'm believing God for breakthrough in my business. And I'm not letting go. Is that you this morning? Then give God a great big shout. It's about commitment. It's about I don't give in. I don't give up no matter what's going on around me. I'm not letting go of God. God, that you will bless me. You see, we're coming. Uh, there's a whole lot of things in, in going on in the world right now. That this is a real test. You see, we've had maybe 20 years of prosperity where things have been pretty easy. But all of a sudden, things start to happen in the world where the fuel prices go up, where, there's, uh, where the interest rates go up, where there's financial uh, tremors and shakings going on. And the question is, is that does your faith still stand against that pressure? Does your faith still stand when things, circumstances aren't going the way they were before? Or do you say, God, it doesn't matter what's going on out there. To me, I'm counting on you, and you are not dependent on what's going on in the world. It's about commitment. Do you have commitment this morning? So the next step is, Confession. In verse 26, he said, Let me go for the day breaks. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. So the angel Lord said, What is your name? What is your name? He said, Jacob, my name is Jacob. You see, if that was God, why was he asking Jacob what his name was? What's going on there? What's it already? What's it about? God already knew what his name was. He knew who he was wrestling with. So why did he ask that question? When God asked Jacob, what is your name? He was confronting the very character and nature of Jacob. He was taking Jacob right back to when he was last asked that question. When was Jacob last asked that question? He was last asked that question, what is your name? By his blind, elderly father. The last time he'd been asked that question, it was Isaac asking him, who, is the, who are you? And Jacob lied and said, I am Esau. He lied to get the blessing. And right then and there, God is confronting Jacob with his sin. He's confronting him with his very nature. See, God knew who he was wrestling with, but he wanted Jacob 
to know who Jacob really was. He wanted to know that Jacob knew that he was the deceiver. He was the liar, the cheat. He wanted Jacob to know who he really was. Jacob was desperate for the blessing, and he was desperate to be delivered from his circumstances. Just like we, often we're desperate to be delivered from our circumstances. And what we most need to be delivered from is ourselves. Yeah, you know what I'm talking about this morning. We most need to be delivered from ourselves. Jacob, his circumstances, God could easily deal with those. But unless he dealt with the very character and heart nature of Jacob, there was no way that Jacob was ever going to succeed and prosper. So this morning, let me ask you, what is your name? If God was to ask you, what is your name? What is your name? What would you answer? See, I've had a bit of fun with that. How many of you know the, the little miss and little mister uh, uh, t-shirts that caused such a, a, a trouble in the, in the beginning of the year? So I've had, I've had some thoughts about that. What would, what would God say to you? Or what would you say to God if, you, if he asked, what is your name? Maybe it would be Mr. Grumpy. Yeah? Maybe, maybe it would be Mrs. Depressed. Well, maybe it would be Miss Insecure. Or Mr. Rejected. Or Mrs. Negativity. Or Mr. Impatient. It could be a whole lot of things. I'll leave it to your imagination but what is your name? And if you don't know it, your neighbor who lives with you probably does. <laughs> Come on. <laughs> if you don't know it yourself, then ask your neighbor. They'll probably they'll be happy to tell you. Just make sure that you take it well. Turn to the person next to you and ask, what is your name? <laughs> you see, to be delivered from our circumstances, to be delivered from the pressures in our life, first we need to be delivered from ourselves. We need to get honest with ourselves and with God. God already knew who Jacob was. God already knows who we are. He wants to know if we know who we are. Proverbs in 28, Proverbs chapter 28 and verse 13 it says, he who covers his sins will not prosper, but whoever confesses his sins and forsakes them will have mercy. If we're wanting to get delivered and change in our life, we need to confess to who we really are. And you see, there's a number of tactics that I've seen that people use to avoid acknowledging who they really are. There's the tactics of blame. There's the tactics of excuses. There's the tactics of justification. You see, Jacob could have made any number of excuses. He could have said he'd come from a dysfunctional family because actually, in truth, he did. If you look at the family of, of Jacob, you know his family was dysfunctional. There was bad communication. There was favoritism. There was deception in his very family. His family was dysfunctional. But Jacob didn't, at this point, he didn't blame anyone else. He could have said his brother didn't deserve it. And that's true. His brother didn't deserve it. He could have said he was just trying to fulfill God's plan for his life. That's true. He was. But you see, when it came down to it, is that none of the excuses 
was going to get Jacob free. And the same for us. None of the excuses, none of the blaming, none of the justification will get us free. It's when we confess and say, God, I have messed up. I've made some mistakes. I have a weakness in this area. God, I'm bringing it to you. And the moment you stop making excuses for yourself, the moment you take ownership for who you are, the moment you do that, Change happens. Grace and mercy begins to flow. The gateway for change is open. You see, the moment Jacob confessed to who he was, God opened the floodgate into his life of blessing. The last step was a step of cooperation. Change happens when we cooperate with God. Can I have the band, please? Change happens when we cooperate with God. You see, Jacob had lived all his life up to this point with the do-it-yourself mentality that he was going to do it himself, whatever happened. And at this point, this was the point of yielding where he said, I'm going to cooperate with you. And from that point, God changed his life. He was changed. He was a different person. He was given a new identity. He had struggled with God and struggled with man. But right from that point, he was given a new name. No longer will you be named Jacob the deceiver, Jacob the cheat, You'll be named Israel, prince with God, the one who struggles and prevails with God. Jacob left that place with a limp, a permanent reminder that he could no longer run from the troubles in his life. No longer could he run. But he was dependent on the strength and the power of God. And if you see what happens in the next chapter, you find that God dealt with the circumstances. His reunion with his brother was beautiful. His reunion with his brother was not a crisis at all. You see, Jacob's crisis was the crisis of his own heart. And it's the same with us. Our trouble is the trouble of our heart and the motives. This morning, I want to ask, how many of you know that God is wanting to speak to you and wanting to bring some change in your life. There's pressure around you. I want you to put your hand up. That's you this morning. Come on, let's get honest. That's you this morning. See, I know that as I went through this, I felt the hand of God on my life saying, Doug, it's time to change. The pressure that you thought, the pressure that you thought just needed to change was actually a change that needed to happen in your heart. This morning, the encouraging thing is that we can change. You and I can change as we allow God to move in our hearts and lives. Are you ready to do that? All right. Father, this morning, let's pray together. Father, this morning, we thank you for your grace. We thank you, Lord God, Lord, that we can't change ourselves, but you can change us. And Lord God, you know the pressures and stresses and tensions in each one of our lives. And we ask God, today we're coming to you. And we say, Lord, that you would change our hearts. We know that, Lord, you will change our circumstances as you change our hearts. Father, we ask, Lord God, that you would show us who we really are. Today, Lord God, we're ready to give up making excuses. If you've been making excuses to God, say, God, I'm sorry. Today, Lord God, I want him to own up to who I really am. Thank you, Jesus.
Father, we ask for your anointing over each and every one here this morning. We thank you, Lord God, for your favor. We choose to believe you and to hold on, Lord God. We're not quitters. We're ones who are committed and don't give up. 